when something comes along and it very clearly doesn't fit the core business and it very clearly doesn't fit the way we work, it is always my inclination to say yes to it anyway because of shiny object syndrome or because of natural curiosity and interest and excitement about the new, always excited about whatever the new is. When the fact is we have a really clean, tight business that works really well when we say no to things that don't fit. There's a good chance your business isn't designed for growth. When it's time to focus on maintenance, you have to take a step back and have a good, hard look at your business. And you might realize that you don't actually have the capacity to grow this thing you built. Your existing business isn't designed for maintenance or for growth. And in order to get to maintenance mode, you need to make a shift. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your capacity. Sometimes we end up building a business that just doesn't fit our lives. Not intentionally. Sometimes it just happens that way. Maybe you decided to run a B&B because you thought you'd have a lot of freedom, only to realize you can never leave because you always have guests. Maybe you wanted to work one-on-one -on -one with clients, but you find you don't enjoy it as much as you thought you would. Maybe you built a course business because you thought you should, but you really want to do bespoke consulting. Ryan Lazanis and I talked about this in episode 75. We'd each built businesses that didn't fit how we wanted to live our lives. And so we ended up starting new businesses and specifically building them for maintenance mode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. But you don't always have to build something new to make sure that your business is scalable, sustainable, and fits the life you want to have. Sometimes you can just shift how you're doing business. You don't have to burn the whole thing down. Meet Mark Butler. He's the founder of the accounting startup Let's Do the Books, as well as a freelance CFO for life coaches. And instead of shutting his business down and starting over when he realized that something needed to change for him, he created a complementary business with a different business model, one that was designed for maintenance. For a lot of folks, when they think about moving their business into more of a maintenance mode or something that is um, kind of just rolling along, it's they, they come into that because they've hit some sort of capacity issue, either personal capacity and their ability as a founder to be able to be in the business or just their business itself um, comes up against some sort of capacity ceiling. Was there something in your business, some triggering event that made you rethink your capacity either as a founder, as a business owner or inside your business? There were a couple. Uh, about almost three years ago now, I was uh, a freelance CFO serving mostly life coaches and online business owners who had well, there was a whole range, and this was one of the one of the catalysts for the change. But I was working with with life coaches and online business owners that might have been earning six figures, and then some that were earning seven figures, and then one that was earning eight figures. And I had clients across this whole spectrum, and their pricing across the whole group was relatively similar. But at the price point where I was working, demand started to outpace my capacity. So. I was at that point where I either had to decide to scale through adding more coaches or consultants to my business, 
at the same approximate price point or to significantly change my own price as a filtering mechanism. And really it was my clients who get credit for this. A group of my clients kind of had me all, we were all around a, a lunch table one day at an event. And at the beginning of the lunch, my, my, my sort of basic fee was one amount. And by the end of lunch, my basic fee was five X higher. <laughs> and, um, that was terrifying. And I kind of freaked out for the next couple of weeks. And in the next six weeks, I lost 80% of my clients because it ended up being that the only clients who retained me were those that were sitting at the table that day. Mm. But I was making more money. That was the other interesting thing with the five X increase for the, for the clients who were at the table that day and the, you know, and, and dropping 80, the other 80% of my clients, I, um, I ended up, I came out ahead uh, revenue and profit wise. So it was an interesting transition there. And I went like that for a year or two. I did, I did have uh, a sort of a co-consultant in the business and the way we kind of kept going for a time was some of the, some of the clients who weren't ready to make the transition uh, to the, to the $3,000 price point, the new, the new monthly retainer that I was charging. I did say, Hey, you could work with this other coach in my business. And, and a decent percentage of them did. So we were able to go along like that. Um, but then the relationship ended up, relationship was really with her. It was with the co-consultant. So after about a year and a half, I said, you know, these are really your clients. And she bought those clients for me and she left and went back out on her own, which was great. It worked out well for her. It worked out well for me. So then I was left with, instead of having a capacity issue, I was left with a sort of a business model issue where there was demand for services that I wasn't offering anymore. And I thought, well, I can either ignore this demand or I could build a business to support it. And I decided to build a business to support it. So I promoted one of the bookkeepers on my team to not only be the senior bookkeeper, but also to be a coach, a consultant in the, in the business. And we started to make her available to people when they would come to us. And now she's, she's not full, but she's approaching full. And we also started to offer this bookkeeping only service for all of the new ish coaches and online business owners who did not have a need for a CFO or the money to pay a CFO, but definitely needed to have financial statements at tax time and needed to have some more clarity around where their money was going throughout the year. So we created this thing called let's do the books that offered a sliding scale fee structure and was sort of just right for those up and comers. Mark's sliding scale fee structure is really interesting. His bookkeeping services are priced at 3% of what a client made during the previous calendar month, and he has a minimum and a maximum price. It's a strategy that means you really only pay for the service if you're actually making money, which is fantastic for the client. But it also means that Mark has to be really targeted about which clients he takes on, because in bookkeeping, the volume and quantity of work isn't really tied to revenue. It's based on how many transactions come through which is how most other flexible pricing models in other bookkeeping businesses are structured by transactions. So the shift really started with a capacity issue, started with my clients making a request of me to sort of give them more attention and more focus by raising my prices, and then looped all the way back to building a service that would support, support everyone else in a way that required almost no time and effort from me at this point. 
Yeah, that's interesting because it sounds like when you shifted your mo your business model, but kind of in two sort of opposite directions, you know, when most people are thinking about shifting their business model or raising their prices, they're going in one of those directions or the other, and you kind of uh, split the difference and skipped the middle part. Yeah, and there's just high touch or really, really low touch, very scalable. Um, that's right. So I'm interested to hear how that how, how did that work out for you as you were kind of sh shifting? What changed for you as a founder, as a CFO, as somebody who's working with clients and also uh, running essentially a very scalable model? What what shifted for you personally? Uh, personally, it's been a big stretch. I don't I don't view myself as a great manager or leader. Um, I don't <laughs> maybe my. Hopefully my team says no. You're you're a fine manager and a and a and a fine leader. But I I don't I don't view that as a strength, or as a particular interest. Frankly, I was never a person who who fantasized about growing a big company with a big team. I tend much more toward a kind of lone wolf mindset, often to my detriment. But I, that is kind of the the mindset that I tend toward. And so this transition to a very low touch, very scalable model has been really uncomfortable for me, because. It requires uh, discipline, it requires focus, and it requires a, a, a mindset of constant improvement that my highest touch, highest margin services have never required. Uh, maybe another way I could say that is when, you're, when you have such high fees in a one-to-one -one kind of business, you can do so many things in a, in a very bespoke way. And... So you don't have to be terribly efficient and you don't have to have amazing processes. You don't have to be great at communicating with team members and you don't have to think about tools that reduce the total number of clicks in your workflows. But when you have a sliding scale bookkeeping service, a sliding scale fee structure bookkeeping service, all of those things matter a lot. And so my team has been very patient with me as I've kind of, struggle to embrace the role of CEO and to lean on them and to empower them and to say, Hey, look, you all know what the, you know what our values are in terms of how we want to treat our, the people who pay us, you know, what the requirements of our service are in terms of financial statements that actually work for people's taxes and clarity around where their money's going why don't you all start thinking more and more about how the actual processes should go so that they're very efficient and that deliver a great result every time. I'm in the middle of that right now, to be honest, Susan. Uh, and what I mean by being in the middle of it is I think we deliver a great service and our, our clients say great things to us and about us. But behind the scenes, we're still always having conversations around, hey, should we be doing this anymore? Should we start doing that? Hey, what if we get rid of this completely? Uh, something we're working on in the team right now is that we're being much more rigid about client filtering on the front end. So if you don't fit a pretty tight profile, we won't accept you as a bookkeeping client. And that makes everything downstream much easier. But it's just one example of things that are kind of always in flux as we try to figure out how to deliver a great service at a great margin and have a happy team do it. Those are the things we're always trying to work on a balance. Yeah. And definitely have you found that 
it's it it is obviously much harder to do with a scalable service how much of your time do you spend now kind of leading the team on the scalable side versus consulting on the you know more high touch bespoke client side does your time you know do you evenly balanced? Do you spend more time in one or the other? How do you manage that workload of essentially you're running kind of two separate businesses? It is. It is two separate businesses where there's just a little overlap between the businesses because the bookkeeping team does support my CFO clients. So there is overlap there. And and that's where the the improvements in the in the bookkeeping processes have benefited the CFO business because it runs just that much more smoothly thanks to this great book te- bookkeeping team and their workflows. But my time is divided now. I, I spend I spend very little time on the bookkeeping business, very little. Uh, this podcast would represent sort of my typical efforts in the bookkeeping business at this point. It's mostly just me being a guest on different podcasts, kind of networking, letting people know what we do, having periodic meetings with the team, uh, both in group settings. And I do one-on-ones with my different team members to try to hear what's working for them and what we can improve. But in any given week, I'm probably not spending more than an hour or two on the bookkeeping business at this point. So when you were envisioning the bookkeeping business and getting that kind of up and running, what did you do to prepare your business, prepare yourself for this kind of split into starting almost a whole nother business? How did you, what did you actually do to get your business prepared for that more scalable model? I think, I think the preparation started with uh, being committed to a specific niche in the first place. And that goes back seven years since I kind of got into this whole thing. Um, I sort of fell into the into the niche with working with life coaches and online business owners. But once I was there, I, I just f- focused on that group more and more over the years. So I feel like I'm sure there are other people who know as much about me as, li- as about, you know, as much as I do about life coaching, business models, online business models, uh, coaching models, retreat models, uh, courses, all these things. I know there are people who know as much as I do, but I don't know if there are many people who know a lot more than I do about those businesses at this point, because I've been in businesses ranging from sort of $0 in revenue all the way up to 25 million a year in revenue. And I see how inside all of them to see how they work and what works in them and what doesn't work in them. Then I have been able to take that. And because of my commitment to that niche, the processes that we use in the business have been coming together for almost seven years now. So the tools we use, the way we use them, the way we sell, the clients we're willing to sell to, the clients we turn away because they don't fit our profile. That was most of the preparation. The actual sort of launch of the scalable service was mostly just announce, having giving it a website and announcing it to the world and giving it this kind of interesting sliding scale fee structure that made it just a little bit different from how these services are typically priced and sold. Um, but luckily, because of the work we'd been doing since 2014, a lot of the processes were in place. We've just had to 
refine them to work with, instead of working with a handful of clients to work with, you know, lots and lots and lots of clients. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So what was the biggest challenge for you, either operationally or personally, as you made the shift? Was there anything that you kind of ran into that created a bit of a hurdle for you? Or was it smooth sailing the whole the whole way? No, it has. Well, the, the funny thing is, most of it has been smooth sailing. I'm I'm kind of the only thing in the business that causes it to be not smooth sailing sometimes. And so the answer to your question is what's been hardest for me. It's really been the discipline to say no. And I don't, I don't do well with saying no to ideas, to opportunities. So when something comes along and it very clearly doesn't fit the core business and it doesn't, and it very clearly doesn't fit the way we work, it is always my inclination to say yes to it anyway, because of, shiny object syndrome or because of natural curiosity and interest and excitement about the new, always excited about whatever the new is. When the fact is we have a really clean, tight business that works really well when we say no to things that don't fit. Hey there, it's Susan. If you've been listening to this interview and it's making you think about some of these issues and ideas, and you wish you could talk to some other real live business owners about it, I wanted to invite you to my free monthly roundtable, Dollars and Decisions. Once a month, I get together live with a group of amazing business owners just like you to geek out on money and operations and workflow and software, all that stuff that you hear me talk about here. The Roundtable is kind of like a live interactive version of the podcast, so I would love to have you join me. No spaces, no hyphens, or you can just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Rachel Cook and I talked about how founders often tend to be the reason that businesses struggle to get into maintenance mode in the last episode. So often the business owner is actually the one keeping a business out of maintenance mode. It isn't always just the business model. And that's the case for Mark too. We'll hear how he deals with it, but if you want to hear some other tactics and tricks that Rachel and I both use, and you haven't listened to the last episode, go check it out. I end up being the biggest obstacle to the smooth operation of the business, and to get around that, frankly, I've turned it over to my team. So it used to be that a lot of the sales, so leads, leads would come through me. They would inquire, and it would end up in my inbox, and I would, you know, whether by whether over email or a zoom call, I would sell a new client before I had real confidence that they were a good fit. And then a a high enough percentage of the time, the team would come back and say, Hey, they're not, they were, they're always very kind about it. They'd say, okay, look, they don't fit our normal workflow. So how do you want us to approach this client? And that was their way of reminding me that I was breaking our rules. So finally, just in the last couple of months, I said, okay, I'm out of the process now. They can come to the website. They can inquire about service. After they inquire about service, they can fill out our intake survey. If the intake survey is a good fit, then Amanda, our senior bookkeeper, will invite them into the service and she'll onboard them. And if not, she'll wish them the best. But it keeps Mark from making messes. And that's honestly the biggest thing that the business has needed is me not making messes in it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because uh, I, I, I feel like that's 
really common <laughs> is that us as the founder, as the business owner, we we are the ones that break our own processes and break our own rules and yeah. uh, mess it up. And it's one of the things I found super helpful, both as because I have a client who did this as well, um, who basically empowered a team to say, hey, tell me no. <laughs> Don't let me break this. This is what we're doing. Don't let me get distracted. And having somebody on your team who who is empowered to say, hey, that's not a great idea or hey, that's going to derail all of these things. What do you want to prioritize can be so powerful in making sure that the systems that we're building in our business stay there, that we don't break them. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh and and really all I, all my team is doing is they're reminding me of the system we built together and of the commitments we made to each other so the one of the hardest things about being the founder being the ceo is that you theoretically have power to say yes have have power to change things and to me the great the discipline of the of the ceos that i admire most are the people who refuse to break what's working just because they're they're bored or just because that's sort of in their DNA and that's what created their business in the first place. We, we, we started our business in the first place by sort of breaking something, breaking the, the old status quo. So it can be very uncomfortable to not keep breaking the status quo. But at some point you get to say, oh, we found it. We found product market fit. We have happy customers who come to us in reasonable numbers we can give them great service. We've built processes that deliver great service so that the founder is happy, the team is happy and healthy, they feel productive, they feel like they're adding value, they don't feel like they're being jarred or knocked around by their uh, CEO's latest ideas. We found this beautiful fit. Now we get to sort of earn rent on this asset that we built instead of tearing it down and rebuilding it every six months. It's the hardest thing in the world for me, but I'm just coming around to what a beautiful thing it really is. Yeah, like you, this is something that I have consistently struggled with and have finally started doing that in my own business. It's been really easy to do that in clients' businesses because I'm not the one who's going to mess it up. I'm there to build the process and help them execute it and be the one to say, hey, that's really going to derail your priorities. But being able to do that for myself has been um, much more challenging. It is. And um, one thing that has helped me is that I find other ways to scratch the itch. So with the bookkeeping business in particular, it, it, it really is, it's a great service. Our clients say such kind things to us and about us. And we grow through referrals, which is to me, it's the sign that we're, we're giving a great service, knowing that I don't want to mess that up, but knowing that I, I have this itch to create and to break and to do other things. I just do that with side projects. And I, and I try really hard to not have my side projects mess with my team. So when I start a side project, like I'm doing a thing right now called Money School, it has, it's completely outside of our niche. It's personal finance oriented. It's a personal finance class. It's, it's basically a group coaching program. I'm doing it, but I am not taking resources from any of my current team members to do it. So I'm not coming to team meeting to them with them and saying, hey, I'm throwing this new thing at you. You've got to find a place for it. They know I'm doing money school, but when I come to them and talk about money school, I'll say, hey, look, we're working on, I'm working on money school. 
if over the next six to 12 months, it proves that it's worth some of our attention, then we will have a team conversation around what new team members we need to add and or how any of you might like to shift your roles to be more focused on money school versus the the bookkeeping service. But what I'm not doing is having my little, you know, creative seizures disrupt. I'm trying not to have my little creative seizures disrupt them in their smooth workflows. So as you build side projects, you're basically using them as experiments. And if they get to the point where they pan out and they make sense to become a bigger part of your overall business model, that's the point at which you start bringing in team or discussing reallocating resources into another piece of the business. Yeah, that's right. So with Money School, Money School is this thing where it's a it's a 12-week group experience where people come in and, and we're trying to work with them on their money mindset. We're also trying to give them kind of specific... Uh, it has a tactical piece to it. Here's here's actually how you manage your cash in your in your personal life. And it's 12 weeks and I'm charging $3,000 for it. And in my first launch of it, I, I, I had 12 or 13 people say yes. So that's a pretty strong sign of life that, okay, maybe this thing has legs. I'll probably work on it for the next six months on my own, probably do a fall launch. And if the fall launch grows relative to the initial launch, then I'll say, okay, this thing is, it's good. It has good margins into it. I know the numbers around group coaching experiences because I've seen all my clients do it. I know, I know what the business model looks like. If I can get traffic for it at a reasonable price, then absolutely it deserves resources from the business. So then the existing team members will, they'll have a say in whether they want to stay in their role with, with let's do the books, the bookkeeping service, or whether they'd like to look to have them to replace them within the bookkeeping service and have money school be something that they focus on. But we won't do that until we're sure that there's a good revenue, a good profit stream on its way from the new thing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. We've touched on a lot of different aspects here, but is there anything you think we should talk about uh, either about this shift in your business model or preparing for maintenance mode in your business or personally that you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on yet? I think that um, all of us as, and again, my, my, my default, by the way, is just sort of people who view themselves as online business owners, coaches, consultants, course creators. That, that's who's in my head as I say what I'm about to say. I think that as you do experiments with different types of businesses and business models, it's worth it to always be asking yourself kind of what you want to be when you grow up because the, uh, so like a one-to-one service business is a very totally different animal than a scaled bookkeeping service or a scaled service of any kind. Uh, a group coaching experience is a totally different animal from either a one-on-one coaching or consulting or service business or a scaled service business. These things are not the same, but because all of them are so easy to start, I have observed many business owners or aspiring business owners mix them all up and act like they're all basically the same and they have the same requirements. They don't have the same requirements. So you, you, always want to be asking yourself, what does it take to make this business model work? Who do I have to be within the business in order for it to thrive? 
And do I want to be that? So for example, with my scaled bookkeeping service, if I truly hated the idea of managing a small team and supporting, you know, having the business be one thing and having the, the, the team be its own entity that needs love and attention and thought and creativity. If I don't want to do that, then I should not scale because scale requires people. So if you don't want to be in the people business, you got to stay, you got to be a course creator and work on your own, or you got to be a one-to-one coach or a one-to-one service provider. You have to know what your non-negotiables are. And then you have to, you have to work within those non-negotiables because there's nothing sort of more exhausting than pretending or then trying to convince yourself that you want to scale with a team when you know deep down that you hate hiring, management, compensation, uh, team development. There's nothing more exhausting or frustrating than that. So I would hope that people would spend some time in their own heads and hearts saying, is this what I want to be when I grow up? And if it's not, what business model can I choose that really lets me be me and still achieve the goals that I want to achieve? Yeah, I think sometimes that can be really challenging to actually admit to ourselves that we might be considering a business model or considering growing our business in a way that we feel is something we should do or could do and isn't necessarily yeah. the, the way in which we want to operate as founders. I really believe that almost anyone can do almost anything. So we can, we can, you know, through personal development, through coaching, we can get ourselves to do the work required for probably any business model. The question becomes what, what work are we, do we want to take on our, in our lives? Do we want to do that work or do we want to do the work of, of becoming a master of the thing that is easiest for us to be? It's really hard to become the absolute best version of you. It's even harder to become the absolute best version of something that isn't native or natural to you. So I'm trying, and I'll speak for myself, I'm trying really hard to be more and more honest with myself about what work I'm choosing. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us, a lot of the time, end up choosing businesses and business models because of how much money we think they'll make, as opposed to how naturally happy and high functioning we will be within those businesses. I think that's where you get a lot of kind of square pegs and round holes is like, well, I may not gravitate to that work naturally, but I think that's where the big money is. That's where the big maybe fame, maybe praise validation is. So I'm going to try to force myself down that path, even though it feels completely unnatural to me. When it comes to making shifts in your business model, sometimes that ends up being the key that helps you finally get into a sustainable business that can be in maintenance mode. Sometimes it's just easier to fix the capacity issue at the beginning of the workflow by shifting how you actually do business. You start with the end in mind, with the kind of business you need to or want to run in the first place, and then design it from there. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing game here. With Mark, instead of shutting down his existing freelance CFO business, he just added another business that made the one-to-one services easier and more efficient to deliver. 
and could still serve as a scalable business that could run independently. For me, this shift looked like creating a course that was scalable, not rocket finance. And it, like Mark's bookkeeping businesses, serves a few purposes. It allows me to work with more people at a time because it's, it is scalable, but it also creates more educated clients so that when I do work with them one-on-one, -on -one, we can go deeper and get more out of our work together. But when you're thinking about how to prepare your business to be able to get into maintenance mode, if you're finding that you're having a bit of a challenge figuring out how to do that with your existing business model, sometimes a shift can make a big difference in how easy it actually is to prep for maintenance. Shifting your business model is just one of the levers you can pull, but sometimes starting with the end in mind makes a difference. You can find Mark at letsdothebooks.com, and if you're considering a shift in your business model, or if you love your existing model, but you need some help to figure out how to make it more maintenance friendly, I'd love to invite you to the next Dollars and Decisions Roundtable. It's a free monthly finance and operations strategy session for business owners just like you, and this is exactly the kind of stuff we nerd out about. The session is free, but space is limited, so register at scalespark.co slash dollars and decisions, or just click the link in the show notes. See you there. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. And this episode was edited by Nick Fershaw. Thank